one in pubs, the podcast that gets everyone talking on it as well as about it. Hello there, and welcome to a special F1 in Pubs podcast with myself, Manish Patel. Now, I've got a massive grin on my face because I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Sky Sports F1's lead commentator, David Croft, known as Crofty to many people. David, how are you? I'm very well. How are you this afternoon? Very well, thank you, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule for me to interview you. Not a problem. Welcome to the Bell. Yes, very, very nice pub. This is my local Oh, okay. Well, I thought if I was talking to the F1 in pubs pubcast, then I should invite you down to my local for the afternoon. Yeah, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a bit quiet. The, the, the regulars will come in a little bit later. But the F1 is always on here because John, the landlord, is a, is a huge F1 fan. So if ever you're in a little town called Sandy uh, in Bedfordshire, just go up the A1 from London. When you get to the speed cameras, turn right. Uh, then you can always come down here and watch the, uh, the F1. You're actually sat as well. I'll give you a... a, a a bit of a big up for Sandy here. You're sat just around the corner from where Lewis Hamilton's mum used to live. Wow. If I was to tell you she used to live 50 yards from where you're sat, that would not be a lie. But she's moved now, and I'm not going to tell you where she's moved to. How often do you come here, then? Uh, occasionally, yeah. I, I come down with the wife uh, from time to time. Uh, it, it depends, really. You know, When the F1 season's not on, it uh, constitutes about three weeks of a year, it seems, at the moment. The, the season's getting uh, an awful lot longer. But, yeah, this this is the pub that we will call our local, and we'll, uh, we'll come down here for a few Friday nights. So if, if ever there's not a race on, you might see me in here. You uh, never know. Okay. Now, before we do start talking about Formula 1 and F1 in pubs, I know you're a West Ham fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up after yeah. the weekend. Cheers. Yeah. Good, good result, wasn't it? Yeah, shut your face. <laughs> yeah, but at least you're a West Brom fan. At least yes. we beat Villa. We did you a favour. <laughs> well, we, I, can't, I can't complain with the start that we've, uh, that we've made. Well, yeah, no, no. We can't complain with the start you've made. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. Um, <laughs> We, we, we've got three points on the board, which means another 37 points, and we're, uh, we're going to avoid relegation, which I think has to be the, uh, the key for the year. Like Jarvis, good signing. He is, very good signing. It just means Sam Allardyce might need to, uh, to play with a bit more width and keep the ball on the deck. I mean, I think you could do strengthening at the back, but I think you'll be absolutely fine this year. <laughs> you think do. we could do with it? I I've, I've thought that for a long while. Guy Demmel is not a good fullback. Right, OK. Well, <laughs> anyway... Enough about football. Uh, <laughs> come here to talk about Formula One. Yeah. Now I know you're a massive fan of F1 in pubs. Um, how did you first get to know about it? I think it was Twitter. That's where I get most of my information these days. Uh, which, by the way, as we're recording this today, this is Mark Webber's 36th birthday. Oh, today, happy birthday, which I, Mark. Which I've just found out on Twitter. And thanks to the fake Charlie Whiting, I've also found out that 36 is the atomic number of kryptonite. This oh. is the sort of rubbish you find on Twitter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it was, it was a Twitter thing. And I, I just thought it was a really good idea. You know, why, why sit on a sofa and watch F1 on your own? Get together with your mates and go down to pub. And yeah, you know, Sky when they came into football revolutionised the way that football was watched, you know, away from the stadium. And I think if you guys can do the same thing uh, with F1 that, that Sky did with football as well, it's it's all for the better. I'm not suggesting for one minute people should drink an awful lot, but just just get down there, see your mates, have a good time, and, and talk about sport because you know, sport should be talked about. It, it's far better watched when you're in company than when you're sat on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about F1 in pubs is the fact that it enables Formula 1 fans to meet fellow fans, talk Formula 1 with new people that then you meet, but also an opportunity to have a point and watch the race. Exactly. You never know. Dating over a pit stop strategy as well. <laughs> Love that. Now, I know you attended the F1 in pubs pub crawl 
at Silverstone. <laughs> yeah, which I was drinking Diet Coke, I have to say, as well, because it was the Friday night and I was a little bit tired. Uh, but I went down to see Chris uh, and the guys at the uh, the White Horse in yes. Silverstone. And it was it was a fabulous night. I wish I'd have got there a bit earlier, but sadly Silverstone was quite busy and we were yeah. we were working hard. And I, uh, I was talking to Martin Brundle until about nine o'clock and then thought, oh, blimey, I should get down to the pub right now. Uh, but it was a good night. And uh, Chris is a top lad. You're all a top bunch. And, and you're doing you're doing the sport of service by getting people together. So uh, cheers to you all. Thank you so much for that. And Chris, David hasn't forgotten about your signed Georgie Thompson photo. No, Georgie says she will get that done. I spoke to her on Friday on the sofa of the uh, the F1 show and said, yes. oh, you've got to get this done for Chris. And, and she will. Fantastic. How was the F1 show on Friday, by the way? We had a fun. We had fun actually. It was it was lovely to see Ant and Johnny again, and and Georgie as well, and because uh, I hadn't seen them for a while. But yeah, we we, we had a good time, and it was uh, it was it was interesting. It was the first show that I presented um, with Georgie, I'd uh, obviously presented uh, a special F1 show during the summer as well. And quite nice to do something different for a change. Coming on to talking about the 2012 season now, I guess one word to sum up the season would be unpredictable. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the words I used for our, our opener in Spa. I had to come up with three uh, words. Uh, so I used unpredictable. I used epic as well. I, it's been I, an epic season. I think it's been a super season. I, I really do. I, I'm not going to complain about it for one moment, to be honest. Oh, it's two o'clock. That's the grandfather clock in the background, by the way. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this season for, for so many different reasons, but to, to see so many guys going into a race with a chance of winning that race has been fantastic. You, know, you, you want variety, you want unpredictability in sport. You, you don't mind seasons like last year where, where you can just appreciate what one team and, and one man were doing in Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel, but you don't want that every year. And I think, you know, Formula One, the, the, the way that the rules have stayed the same, the regulations have stayed the same now pretty much for the last few years, has, has led to this uh, very tight, very close racing. And, and, and that will continue until 2014 when the, uh, the engine regulations get changed and we start all over again. And let's be honest, last season, Sebastian Vettel blitzed the field. Well, he did. He was absolutely superb. And Red Bull blitzed the field because they had the best car. But the one key regulation change, that, that's repositioning of the exhaust, that clamp down on the, the off-throttle blown diffuser, has, no doubt, uh, hampered Red Bull more than any other team this season. That, that's why you, you've only seen three wins so far for that team. Now, whether they can now crack on in the last nine races and, and, and repeat what they did last year, I think it was six of the last nine that Sebastian Vettel won and Mark Webber won, of course, in Brazil. If they can do that, then... You know, you've got to be looking at a championship for Red Bull uh, in that respect, but they will be putting a lot of resources into it. I'm not sure that they are going to be able to do that. And even Adrian Newey is saying no one team is going to dominate the last part of the season. But certainly last year, they, they really did have it. And if you said to someone at the start of the 2012 season that we'd have seven different winners after the first 11 races a day, probably wouldn't have believed you. No, no, no one would have believed us. I wouldn't have said it, to be honest. I don't think anyone was predicting that whatsoever. We're starting to like see more of the established winners now. We've seen Alonso, we've seen Hamilton win in Hungary. Could we potentially still see an eighth different winner? Uh, yes, I think we could. Uh, we haven't seen Lotus win yet. Uh, eight podiums so far for, for that team. Kimi Raikkonen and Roman Grosjean are driving superbly well. We uh, go to Spa for the next race, which is Raikkonen's 
basically Raikkonen's territory, isn't it? Four yes. wins at Spa, uh, in four wins from his last five visits. And um, the one time he didn't get the victory, he was chasing Lewis Hamilton and battling for the leading, and crashed out. And they've been developing their new double DRS um, in practice in Germany and in Hungary, especially for the likes of Spa and for Monza as well. Uh, Monza obviously low downforce circuit, very different type of circuit to, to any other that we that we go to. And it might be that other teams have, have targeted that specific race to, to get another win. Michael Schumacher hasn't won yet for a Mercedes team that have kind of lost their way a little bit. Yeah. But maybe Monza is where Mercedes and their double DRS will be strong as well. So I think the chances are there for an eighth different winner. Whether we get it or not, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and find out. How much have you enjoyed commentating on this season's race compared to previous races in previous seasons? I don't tend to think about it too much, to be honest, whilst I'm, I'm doing the commentary. Thinking about it now, I've enjoyed the privilege of, of, of commentating on Sky, of working with Martin Brundle, of carrying on working with Anthony Davidson. Um, and, and yeah, it has been an absolute blast. But there have been bits on other seasons that I've commentated on that, that have been a blast as well. I'll probably sit down with a uh, with a whiskey in front of the fire and uh, sometime in December and, and, and think about it then. But whilst the season's going on, you just kind of immerse yourself in it, and, and you, you don't tend to take a, a step away and, and and think about the ins and outs too much. You're just there commentating and putting into context the live action that's going on in front of you. I'd just like to say well done for your coverage of Formula 1 Sky I think you've done an absolutely fantastic Thank job you. and I hope you keep the good work <laughs> well I'll give it 150% you know if such a thing is possible it is the greatest job in the world I, I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, every single working day of my life which uh, is it's kind of what I wanted as a, as a kid really you know just to, to do a job that, that gets me out of bed with a smile on my face every day and I have to say what I do for a living very much does that and the good thing about F1 being on both Sky and the BBC it gives the fans you know, more options to watch Formula 1 well there's no excuses for not watching it uh, now it's on two channels um, and I know there was a lot of resistance at the start of the season well not so much the start of the season but when the deal was announced this time last year really um, but I think the way Sky have approached it by, by saying right Formula 1 is important to us it's a sport that we've always coveted we've always wanted it and we're not just going to show it on Sky 1 or Sky 2 or Sky 3. We're going to create our own channel. It just shows what can be done for Formula 1. Take nothing away from the BBC. You know, I was part of their coverage uh, on, on Radio 5 Live. And, and they have done a fantastic job over the years. But Sky, I think, are taking it up a notch or three on that in that respect. And yes, it still costs money to watch Sky. But, you know, hand on heart, I've, I've been a Sky subscriber for many, many years now. Um, you know, even... Even in the old days, when the football first came on and you know, the cricket first came on, uh, and I gladly pay it because I'm a sports nut. I'll, I'll watch sport and talk about sport till, till the cows come home. Um, but yeah, for some people, it is expensive. It could be more expensive, but it's not. It's, it's part of the general HD package. You don't necessarily have to be a Sky Sports subscriber. And if you can't afford it, well, you can at least go down to pub and watch it with your mates. There's another plug for F1 in pubs there. Yes. So uh, you know, there is always that option as well. Okay, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to do coming on to a half turn report on how all the teams have fared so far in 2012. Try I feel like a schoolmaster. <laughs> well, you are. Uh, <laughs> I'm silly not. Well, coming on, well, I guess we're going to start with a team that has their driver leading the drivers' championship. That's Ferrari. And David, you could argue two drivers at Ferrari, contrasting fortunes. For Fernando Alonso, everything is falling in place. And for Felipe Massa, he's had a first half of the season he will truly want to forget. It, 
It's not just that Alonso is driving well. He is driving well. Um, he's not making mistakes, bar you know a couple of little errors uh, at the early part of the season. He's he's not making mistakes. He's, he's capitalising on every opportunity he's getting, but he is getting opportunities because others are making mistakes and are faltering along the way. That the Ferrari isn't the fastest car. Alonso might not even be the fastest driver, but he is the most consistent driver. And Ferrari have got a car that, whilst not being the best and ticking all the boxes doesn't have many crosses by it if that makes sense yeah. it, it's an all round car rather than a car that's suitable for one track or, or the other to, to finish the first four races with the points on the board that he did was was more than Ferrari could have hoped for the weather played a huge part in Malaysia it did in uh, Silverstone and Germany as well uh, with, for his other two wins for, for qualifying certainly uh, and they, they're just they're just making gains where others aren't. Well, through Alonso they are. Felipe Massa has got better, you know, and, and his results are showing that. And he is going to tracks that he likes. Spa, you know, he's never been out qualified by Alonso in Spa. He has won at Spa, of course, before, even with or without the stewards' uh, help. And that's a whole, whole different talking point. But he needs to pick up points. He says that his Ferrari seat is very much in his hands and he can stay at Ferrari if he gets the results. OK, Felipe, show us then uh, if, you can, uh, if you can stay at Ferrari. Personally, I think he will. I, I, I don't think Ferrari will look elsewhere because at the end of the day, here's a driver that, that can play a number two to Alonso. Might not be totally happy about it, but he can play that number two role. Here is a driver that they know well. They know how he works. He knows how they work as well. And you could bring in a, a Perez or a DeResta or a, a Weber, as they spoke to, um, before he decided to go for, for another year or two at Red Bull. But you don't know how that's going to necessarily work out. You, you want continuity. That's why you know McLaren want Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. Red Bull want to stick with Weber and Vettel. Continuity is a very good thing, and, and, and Felipe at least gives them that. But he's got to prove to them that he can score the points. Now you look at the Constructors' Championship, and Ferrari are, are, are way off the pace at the moment. Red Bull have 246 points, Ferrari only 189, yet one of their guys leads the championship by 40 points. That is clearly not good enough. So it's up to Felipe to show what he can do. And he can do it. He, he is a talented driver. He, he just, I suppose, needs to shrug off the whole Alonso effect. And there's no doubt that Alonso, as his teammate, has affected him mentally. You mentioned earlier about Ferrari not having the best car of the field. However, we've seen this season and also last season as well, Alonso always seems to get the best out of the car. And he's always consistent. Well, it's, it's, it's the word, isn't it? Consistency. Yeah. He, he is... Um, he is a great thinker. He works out what he needs to do and when he needs to do it. He, he can attack. He can, you know, go all out, put in the lap times, the the the, 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 the great lap times that he needs. But he can also take the hit when it's coming. You look at Canada this year, where Ferrari didn't get their strategy right, and then he was leading the race, went on to finish fifth. But he wasn't putting up a huge challenge. He was letting others overtake him because he knew that just by finishing fifth, he's going to get himself 10 points. Now, this is not a criticism of Lewis Hamilton in any way, shape or form, but Lewis is faced in a similar situation in Valencia and he fights Maldonado tooth and nail. That's, that's the sort of driver Lewis is. He will fight for it. What happens? Well, he ends up crashing. 
not his fault, it was Maldonado's fault, but he put himself in a situation where there was a risk. Alonso wouldn't do that necessarily. I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. All I'm saying is one guy has 117 points and the other guy has 164 points. You make your mind up uh, as as a Formula 1 fan in, in whatever way you want on that. But it's a calculated attack it's a calculated uh, sit back and wait everything Alonso does is thought about from the start right through to the finish and you can bet your bottom dollar that he has spent the last few weeks during the summer break thinking right what do I need from every single race between now and Brazil to get my third world championship he's, he's not going to slip up by a point again and just on Felipe Massa he needs to have a strong second half of the season if he wants to remain with Ferrari well, he does, as, as I've said. It, the ball's in his court on that one. I think Ferrari will keep him if he can show that he is good enough. So he needs a couple of podiums, at least, on that one. But if the car's good enough, then he should be good enough. He's at least going to tracks. Brazil is a track that he likes. Um, and has won out, of course, he was world champion there for 25 seconds, wasn't he, before? Yes. Uh, Spars, I've mentioned, is a track that he quite likes as well. You know, the, the, there are opportunities there for Felipe Massa to, to uh, succeed. Okay. Mark's at a 10 for Ferrari in terms of how they performed this year. One being the worst, 10 being the best. <laughs> oh, I hate this Mark's out. <laughs> I, I think you, you, you've got to say that in the first few races, the car wasn't good enough, yeah. but they've, they, they've put it right and they've got a very good all-round card. I, I, I'll do a Len from Strictly Come Dancing. I'll give them a seven. Excellent. Okay. Red Bull now. And I'm sure there were many fans at the start of this season thinking that Red Bull and Sebastian were going to run away with 2012, but they haven't had it all their own way. Well, they haven't. The the, the ban, as we mentioned, on off-throttle blown diffusers has, has thrown up a new challenge for Adrian Newey that he has tried to counteract. And in Valencia, they look really, really strong. Until the FIA said, no, we, we think you're doing something with your engine maps that we, we just don't like. And uh, they've uh, now tightened up that particular loophole. There's a couple of other instances as well where, where they've fallen foul of the stewards. Sebastian Vettel isn't getting it all his own way in the way he was last year. We've seen a bit of petulance from him and things when things don't go his own way. We've seen that before, but nothing wrong in that. You know, he's, he's very driven. We've seen Mark Webber put in consistency as well. First four races, came fourth picked up a couple of wins last two races disappointing uh, from, from his situation so that, that there are pluses and there are minuses at Red Bull they have the budget to, to put those minuses into the plus column and, and to make a big difference between now and the end of the season but they are leading the Constructors Championship remember even if the second and third and a, and a bit of a distance off in the Drivers Championship so all hope is not lost for Red Bull but it is interesting me that whereas there has been a lot of suspicion about Red Bull in the last few years and what they're doing maybe just going over the line of legality, that suspicion has continued this year and the FIA are clearly saying, well, no, we think some, some of the things you're doing are against the regulations. So it, it's not all blue sky for Red Bull at the moment, but if you want to give them a mark out of 10, probably that same 7 out of 10. And although it hasn't been a vintage season for Red Bull, don't underestimate them. No, 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 never underestimate the design team that they've got, the the race team that they've got to to put that into operation, and the driving talent that they've got as as well. Um, Mark Webber could have been a world champion had it not been for that race in Abu Dhabi that that took Alonso out of the equation as well and gave Sebastian Vettel his, his first world title. So all the signs are there that Red Bull could be a strong force but you know it, 
go back to what we said before it's a very close season and finite details uh, are, are making an awful lot of difference here and in the past you could have been a, a, a two tenths off the pace in qualifying and you'll still make the front row or you'll still make the second row now you know you're looking at fifth sixth seventh or eighth on the grid so so big differences in terms of your grid position for very small details as well Red Bull could easily win the constructors championship but not take the driver's title well, Sebastian has certainly shown signs of frustration this mm. year, but you've got to give Mark Webber credit for what he's done, and he's ahead of Sebastian in driver's standings. Well, yeah. I don't think Mark Webber became a bad driver last season. It's just something didn't quite click in the way that the tyres were working and the way that Red Bull car worked. Um, is he getting parity with Sebastian Vettel? I think probably now he is, uh, although at times he, he has rather felt like the number two driver but certainly I don't think that's the case now but he has experience Fettel is, is a, a fine driver and I don't think he's lost any of his ability but unless you have the car unless that car has the tyres in the right window you're not necessarily going to go out there and score the marks that, and the points that you want to get so it's it's a team sport and the, the team have to give the drivers the best chance and the drivers then going to have to go out and take it this is, this is the, the, the big conundrum in Formula 1 OK McLaren now and 2012 started in pretty emphatic fashion for the team with Jensen Button winning the opening race in Australia however post Bahrain things didn't really go wrong really went right I should say for McLaren mm. but last two races have seen Jensen Button finish second in Germany and Lewis Hamilton taking a much needed win in Hungary I mean how would you sum up McLaren's season? Feast or famine, isn't it, really? It's been pretty eventful. Yeah, for McLaren. Certainly never a dull moment. Were they the best car in Australia? Yes. Were they the best car in Malaysia? Yes. Did that car work in all conditions? No. Uh, Has that car suffered at times because of the conditions? Probably. Has Jensen Button gone the wrong way on setup? Yes, and he admits that uh, himself. Has Lewis Hamilton taken advantage of all his opportunities? Probably not uh, as well on that one. Even though Hamilton, I think, is is driving a little more responsibly than we've seen him in the past, I'll still go back to Valencia and say, you know, if he had the chance to do it all over again, would he have done it differently? Um, Faced with no points or uh, picking up a fourth place, I think he probably wanted to pick up the fourth place. You know, you you, you give Hamilton another 12 points, he's currently sat second in the Drivers' Championship. Um, At the moment, he's sat fourth and, and, and not out of it at all. He's a fine driver, is Lewis Hamilton. McLaren's big dilemma now is is how long Jensen Button gets equal status this season before they have to put their efforts behind one driver. They will want the Constructors' Championship, but if you're chasing a Drivers' Championship, you can't give both drivers parity if one guy is completely out of it. And I think the next two races, two or three races at at maximum for Button, are absolutely crucial. Um, If he could pick up a couple of podiums in that, then he deserves all the help that's going his way. If Lewis Hamilton outscores him, and it becomes a distant possibility for Jensen to win that championship, then, uh, then you've, you, you've got you've to say, Jensen, you're playing a team game now. It's a very difficult thing to do when you've got a world champion driving for you. Uh, and McLaren are a team that famously give equal treatment to, to both of their drivers. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a strange season for McLaren, isn't it, really? The point you've just made leads me perfectly onto my next question. Jensen, nine races to go, and yet there are some sections of the media saying that he's out of contention. They've written him off. For the drivers' championship, no, he's not written off. He's only—I I think he's—you only write Jensen Button off if Alonso keeps consistently scoring points. 
that's his problem. He could easily do with Alonso having a couple of DNFs. Maybe he needs to crash into him and go on and take the race win. Maybe that's the strategy. Go back to Canada from 2011. Again, uh, not that I'm advocating deliberately crashing into a driver here. You know, this is not the Pastor Maldonado school of, uh, of broadcasting. But you don't write Jensen Button off because he is a fine driver. It's just he, he is suffering in in... I suppose in, in greater terms than a lot of his peers at the moment in that big dilemma on how to get the tyres to work. You know, it's, it's a spirit level. We all held, held a spirit level in our hands and tried to get that bubble in the middle. Well, it's, you know, little fine movements up or down are getting that bubble in or out of the window and, and little fine setup changes and, 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 and car design are making those tyres come into the window or come out of that window. And, you know, it's very easy to get into the window and then slide straight back out again. It, Jensen is struggling to find that window. Once he does, tyres come alive. You, you'll see the man that won in Australia doing well again. Okay, just coming on to Lewis, his win in Hungary is exactly what him and McLaren needed. Yeah, too right. He needed a confidence boost, didn't he, uh, Lewis Hamilton, um, which he didn't get in, in Germany, sadly for him. He, he needs some consistency, Lewis Hamilton. Spa, once again, is a track that, that he, he does enjoy. Monza. As a track that he's had some bad memories at before, but but he could easily do well at Singapore. You know he's had bad memories there. Japan and Suzuka. Well, he, he should be okay there if the car is good enough. He just needs to string together some consistent performances. Basically doing what Alonso is doing at the moment. Think about the long term. Yeah, uh, marks out a ten for McLaren. Marks out a ten for McLaren. Is it's. You want to stick with that same seven again, don't you? Because the, the, there are minuses. There are big pluses as well. Um, and I think a six would be too harsh for a team that, that has picked up three wins this season. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give them a seven. OK. Well, our next team, one team who thoroughly impressed me, as I'm sure many people, including yourself, Lotus. Both Kimi Raikkonen and Roman Grosjean have been performing fantastically well for the team. And you have to say, they've had a very good first half uh, to season. They've got eight podiums, Lotus. Yeah. Same as McLaren. They still haven't picked up a win, though. Should they have had a win by now? I think so. Yeah. Should have come in Bahrain, Bahrain. to be honest. I think their strategy was wrong. Raikkonen was flying. Grosjean was holding him up. To me, team orders, you're allowed to give them these days. I'd have said, Roman, move over. Let Kimi attack Sebastian. Yeah. It would have given him a bit more chance to do it. And I, I think had that win come in Bahrain, then, then Lotus would be absolutely flying by now. It's a good car. Some good boys there. Remember, they've they've won three titles at Endstone before, three constructors' uh, titles before. They put a lot of faith in this double DRS um, that they've been trying out in Germany and uh, also in Hungary. That they say is worth half a second a lap in Spa. Well, let's let's see if it is worth that much. I know it's a long lap in Spa, two tenths really for for a normal track. If it is worth half a second, then they should be up there. The the excuses shouldn't come unless it's pouring with rain for Lotus in in Spa. This this should be the one where we can really see how good this team are. I think they've done exceptionally well to get the podiums. Grosjean has has really impressed me second time around. Matured a lot, has learnt a lot. I think Raikkonen is is driving not as well as he has in the past, but but certainly getting up there and not showing too much signs of rustiness now compared to to the start of the season. But they've got to get qualifying right. They've got to get more consistency in qualifying get better results in qualifying and that's where they put you know, faith into this this double DRS to help them do that 
I want to see Lotus fighting right at the front with a McLaren or with a Red Bull or, or with a Ferrari and to really see just how well that car is going. They were unlucky. They could have had that win in Valencia as well um, had uh, Grosjean not have uh, uh, not not have had the alternator problem. Yeah. Uh, talking to the to, to the guys at Enstone, they think that he would have caught Fernando Alonso had it not have been for that. So, well, certainly uh, been right up there. I'm, I'm, I, I want to give them. I want to give them a seven again, but I keep giving everybody a seven. But in what is such a tight season, I'm racking my brains as to why I can't give them a six. And I think a six would be unfair, given the fact they've had eight podiums. So I'm going to give them a seven again. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's it's more like a six and three quarters because they should have had a win by now and, and they haven't. Roman Grosjean, he's taken his second chance. I mean, first chance didn't really. I mean, didn't really make an impression in Formula One, but like, he's done very well in his second year. Uh, he was in a bad place. Yeah. Uh, a bad harmony between himself and, and the team. Inexperience, not really knuckling down in the way he should, but that has changed now completely. And there were signs of it after the first test, actually, when the team sent him away and said, right, here's the data, this is where you're going wrong. And you need to change a few things by the time of the second test, otherwise you're never going to get the best out of these tyres. And he learnt, he showed maturity, and he came back a different person for that second test. I mean, winning the GP2 series as well last year, that surely would have given him plenty of confidence Yeah, but he he was was good in GP2 before he first came into Formula 1. It wasn't the confidence he needed. He was a confident man. He needed maturity. And he needed to realise that just because you get into Formula 1, it doesn't mean you're the complete real deal. There's still an awful lot of work to be done. To, to, to be competing on the same terms as an Alonso, a Button, a Fettel, a Hamilton, a Weber. Okay. Kimi Raikkonen might as well come across why well, does come across as boring. He's not boring when, when he comes across. I mean, to some people, he does come across as boring when he does like gives interviews to the media. He's not boring. He's Finnish, and and, and, and Finns are not the the, the, the party jokers. You know, I'd, I've, I've seen enough Finnish dance players in my time. You know, that <laughs> the, the, these these guys are not the the the, the, the life and soul of a, of, of a party. I'm trying to remember, there's a guy called Jarko Kumala who I commentated on at the lakeside. He was nicknamed the uh, nicknamed the Smiler because he never did. Okay. Yeah, basically. Um, Kimmy is Kimmy. You know, he, he likes driving, doesn't necessarily like doing interviews, doesn't necessarily like doing personal appearances, but he does like driving and he is pretty good at it. So we shouldn't rate him really on his all-round package. Yeah. We should just say, what's he like behind a wheel? I'd, I'd have him in my team. But you have to say, on his return to Formula 1, he's done a great job. Yeah, he's done a very good job, yeah. There are times he might have done a better job, mainly in qualifying, uh, but his racecraft is certainly there. And if we are going to get an eighth different winner, it might well be either Roman or Kimi. Yeah, a lot of people think Kimi for Spa. I'm not going to disagree with that one iota. Um, Spa's his track. The car should be well-equipped for the uh, the demands of that four, four miles uh, around uh, Spa-Francorchamps. Let's see. This is the real test this weekend for that team. Okay. Coming on to Mercedes and the Silver Arrows have certainly had their moments this year with Nico Rosberg, of course, not forgetting his fantastic victory in China, and also Michael Schumacher finishing third at uh, Valencia. But they've been, for me personally, I think they've just been too inconsistent. And I'm sure Ross Braun will be hoping that in the second half of the season they'll be a lot more consistent. I'm not going to give them a seven. That is for sure. They had the double DRS right at the start. It should have translated into a pole position in Australia or Malaysia. But yeah. Rosberg made mistakes on both of his flying laps. Uh, under pressure, made mistakes. Came to China, 
had two runs in China, only needed one of them. You know, looked at a, a different different player on the Saturday afternoon in China. They got the uh, the one two. Schumacher had reliability problems once again for his second DNF of the season. He's had six retirements, Michael Schumacher, and I actually do feel a bit sorry for them. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, not all his fault. Um, albeit his crash with Senna, you know, wasn't anything to do with the team. But you have to say Mercedes had all the tools. China was a fabulous win for them. They should have kicked on. Was it to do with the conditions and the track temperature? It might have been in the end. But Rosberg drove a really mature race and the team made it work. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to, to take full advantage of that. Might have picked up a win in Monaco had Schumacher not got his, um, his penalty from Spain and dropping in five places down the grid. Eventually retired from the race anyway, I think, uh, Michael Schumacher. Yes, he did. <laughs> I've got my, uh, I'm trying to rack my brains on this one. Uh, but there's just something about the Mercedes that they say they put a lot of work into tyre development, understanding the tyres and not so much in upgrades. Well, the two have got to go hand in hand in this development race this year. They've got a big technical staff there. They've brought in a lot of very good people to assist Ross Braun. Some, for some reason, it's not quite working for them. And to me, they've been—they've actually been one of the major disappointments of the season because the pieces were in place for that team to be doing better than they are now. Um, Rosberg, in the, in the last couple of races, finished tenth. You know, he didn't qualify well in the wet in Germany. Uh, didn't qualify that well in, in Hungary either. He hasn't made Q3 for the last three races. You know, in a car that should be suited for qualifying. Well, once again, Spa, Monza, you know, power tracks big test for Mercedes on this one they might not have the budget that other teams have got that might be part of the problem there might be things happening um, you know politically away from the track that, that has an impact on the team but this is a championship winning team that have won plenty of races Mercedes have got their first victory as we've discussed at China this year and, and they haven't kicked on from it so Rosberg 6th in the table Schumacher 12th in the table the team you know struggling to score big points I'd, I'd probably give them a five and a half for a team like Mercedes, they should be challenging the likes of Red Bull, your McLarens, your Ferraris. And Not they, consistently, but more so than they are. Yeah, doing. and you just mentioned, you know, winning in China, Rosberg, you would have thought they would have kicked on, but they haven't done that. So, anyway, coming on to a team that have had a decent first half to the season, Sauber. Sergio Perez finishing second in Malaysia and third place in Canada. And let's not forget, Kamui Kobayashi is also chipped in with some strong results as well. It's been a decent first half of the season, it's, Salva. It's a good car, first and foremost, for a team that you know went into the start of the season thinking, are we going to last three races here? They're, they're huge financial problems at Salva, which I don't think have gone away. But their partnership with Chelsea interests me. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that they can use that as a platform to bring more money into the team. Because let us not forget, you know, Sauber have consistently come up with decent cars over the years. Never quite had the money to develop it. With BMW, uh, when they came into to Hinville, they, they managed to win a race. They managed to get a pole position. You know, Robert Kubica, they had an absolute superstar uh, behind the wheel. Sadly, Kubica not in F1, possibly not returning to F1 in the future, which would be a huge shame and, and a complete waste of a, of a great talent. You know, I read reports today that he's been secretly testing rally cars and stuff, and that might, that might be where, where he ends up. And that, that feel that he had might not come back. I, you know, I'd keep my fingers crossed that we'll see him on the track, but it looks less and less likely as the, uh, as the months go on. But, but back to Sauber. You know, they, they invested in the BMW time at Hinville, good wind tunnel, great computer for the CFD. 
you know they, they have all the tools there and some good people there to create very good cars they just haven't quite got the budget to 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 kick on from there in the, in the way that Red Bull and McLaren Ferrari Mercedes have give that team some some budget and, and you you know, you'd be amazed as to what they could come up with. I've liked Sauber. I think they've taken the opportunities that have come their way. They've created a car that's pretty benign on its tyres, and uh, you know, when the conditions allow, can compete for podium positions as well. And you'd say maybe maybe a seven for Sauber for exceeding their expectations this season. Well, we know Formula One's all about getting results on the track, but we also know it's about a development race as well. And we saw last year Sauber pretty much fading away. In the second half of 2011, Budget. yes, and they'll be hoping this time round that doesn't happen. Quite. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, they've they managed to pick up some money from somewhere. But you know, you can bet your bottom dollar the points they've amassed so far absolutely crucial in that you know constructors race. You know, when you're battling with the likes of Williams, Toro Rosso, Force India, Mercedes as well, they're only 26 points uh, ahead of Sauber. You know that those millions of dollars that you get for another higher place uh, finish are going to be absolutely vital for Sauber in the way that they have been for Force India this year okay. and uh, with the way things are going for Sauber both I mean, big teams may well be in the future be calling in for both uh, Perez and Kobayashi I certainly think Perez will be, uh, will be attracting a lot of attention from, from other teams will he go to Ferrari I'm not sure he'll go to Ferrari next year not sure he, I'm not sure he wants to go anywhere to be a number two driver you know, and that's Ferrari's conundrum. How do we persuade anyone that's, that's, that's really good to come and be a number two driver? Because that's, that's what you're entering if you go to Ferrari at the moment. Yeah, just as Rubens Barrichello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he did a right out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Decent career, Rubens. Okay. 